0: For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. This morning we're going to talk about why serve God. This We're going to emphasize this month uh, our need to serve God in a practical way as we live our lives here upon this earth. Our first text will be Joshua 24 verse 15 and I believe it should be a familiar text to all of us. If you know any part of the Bible whatsoever. And let's read it. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord. To some people it does seem evil to do that. Well choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood. Or the gods of the Amorites. In whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. Amen. Choose you this day whom you will serve. What's your choice? Are you going to serve the Lord? That's what he's telling these people. But as far as we're concerned, it's my decision to serve the living God, Jehovah God. He made that very clear to all those people. We know throughout history, many have experienced supernatural encounters with God that absolutely transformed their lives and ignited within them a passion to live for God and to serve God. Throughout history, many have experienced that. Before we get into some of these individuals that I have listed here for you today, I want to talk about one individual whose uh, basically life was overwhelmed by sickness and disease, and and he was paralyzed. In John chapter 5, we know of an individual. We don't know his name, but we know his issue. Matter of fact, if you read the Gospels, you find out we know a lot about issues and not a whole lot about names. Like the woman with the issue of blood, Mrs. Issue. With a man, a Gadara, that was uh, demonized. We know that he was demonized in Mark's gospel chapter 5, but we don't know his name, but we know his issue. And you can go through the scriptures and the gospels, and you know all their issues. The Syrophoenician woman, she's the Syrophoenician woman, and the issue was her daughter was possessed of a devil. And it goes on and on and on. Well, this man is lying at the pool of Bethesda, which is in the Hebrew language, the house of mercy, and lying there on his exercise mat, which is called his bed. Some call it a yoga mat or whatever. But he's lying there and seemingly for 38 years. It's easy to read that, isn't it? But when you really think about that, can you imagine lying there for 38 years, troubling of the water, an angel comes down at a certain season, troubles the water, and you can't get in. Why can't you get in? Because it's a dog-eat-dog world at the house of Bethesda the house of mercy. Yeah. Because you see, this guy's got arthritis and he gets down there before this guy does. He's laying on that bed of his and he can't get up to get in the water. So he's in a very difficult situation. And think about this. He really can't serve God productively like he would like to serve God supposedly productively. Why? Because he's paralyzed. Remember, there's five porches there. There's all kinds of different people. Impotent, we are told. They're blind. They're a halt and withered people. He's one of them and it's filled with all these people and their hopes and their dreams are... That one moment, man, just to get in that water, to change my life, to have an encounter with God that will change my life forever. Well, this guy's for 38 years, man. Can you imagine how you would be after 38 years? Probably give up hope after a while, wouldn't you think? I don't even think it would take 38 years. But there you are in that situation. That's your issue. Well, Jesus comes along. Here's the encounter. Jesus comes along and says, "Wilt thou be made whole? Actually, he said it this way. Do you want to be healed? Now think about this. He's the son of God. He knows the hearts of all men. Why would you ask that question? I've been here for 38 years waiting for the troubling of the water and you're asking me, do I want to get healed? Why did he ask that question? You know, some people don't want to get healed. It's a true statement. A lot of people just don't want to get healed. So he wanted him to declare that he wanted to get healed. What was his answer? Do you want to get healed? He didn't say. Would you have said yes immediately? Would you have said yes after thirty-eight years of longing to get into the water to get healed? What does he do? He answers with an excuse. Yeah. I don't have anybody. Well, Jesus was right there, I think, offering him something. Yeah. He could have said, "Well, would you help me next time I get like the water?" You see, the troubling of the water was a type of a gift of the Spirit that would be in operation at that moment, once a season. Who knows the season? Was it once a year? Was it once every quarter? Whatever it was, when the water was troubled, the first person in God healed. He could have said yes, but he didn't say yes. And so there he's lying on that mat. And what does Jesus say? Take up your bed and walk. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Take up your bed and walk. He's looking for someone to help him. He says, take up your bed and walk. You do it. He has a choice to make now, doesn't he? He's got a choice to make. And of course, he immediately took up his bed and he walked. And he was instantly healed and whole. This was his encounter with God. And that encounter with God enabled him to roll up his exercise mat, put it under his arm, and go walking along the street, heading in a direction. And on the way, guess what? The religious folk saw him. Legalism caught up with him. The naysayers, the doubters, and everybody else. What are you doing? Carrying your mat. It's the Sabbath day. Jesus probably forgot, right? You think he thought it was a different day? Jesus knew what day it was. Well, who told you to carry your mat? Why are you carrying your mat? It's a Sabbath day. Don't you understand that? That's legalism. But anyhow... The man says, well, the man that told me that made me whole, he told me to take up my bed and walk. And I did. Well, who's that? Jesus. So he goes off on his way. Why am I saying that? Religion will want to keep you on the mat. Legalism will want to keep you on the mat. Doubt will want to keep us on the mat. Naysayers want to keep us on the mat. The exercise mat. Lying there. Can you imagine finally after 38 years, he rolled up that thing and said, I've been bound to you for 38 years. Now you're coming with me. Well, where was he going? Where was he going? Into the temple. After 38 years, where's he going? Bowling? To the mall? Where's he going? Into the temple where Jesus found him and said to him, you're healed now. Sin no more. lest a worse thing come on you. Gives us revelation that the possibility exists that sin was involved in a situation in the first place. But the point is that he, after that encounter decides it's time to serve God. I'm going to serve God. So he goes into the temple, the first place that he needs to be. On a Sabbath day to find out, God, what do you want me to do? You've restored my life. Beloved, we all come from different backgrounds and situations, and we all encounter difficulties and challenges in life, don't we? And just like the man lying there for 38 years, we can lie there for another 38 years or whatever. Whatever has happened in our past, whatever has taken place in our lives, you know what? No matter what's happened, Jesus is greater than whatever it is we have faced in this life or can face in this life because what he did for us on Calvary's cross is far greater than anything you and I can experience. And that man found out that after 38 years of being paralyzed... That his paralysis was not greater than the king of kings and the Lord of lords who liberated him, delivered him, and set him free. And what did that motivate him to do? Serve God with his life. To go into the temple, seek direction from the Lord. Man, what will you have me to do? Why should we serve the Lord? Because he has a plan for all of our lives. Why? Because he's the one that orchestrates everything and facilitates everything. Because he's the one that gives gifts, anointings, and abilities for us to carry out a mission that he has for us as individuals and as a church body. He's the one that puts it together because he's the one that organizes everything. He gifts everybody, anoints everybody to to take their place and do their part. And we want to be a part of what he wants us to do, not what we want to do ourselves. Can you say amen? amen? Absolutely. Well, why serve the Lord? Well, let's look at Noah's life. Noah had an encounter with God in a conversation. And what was he told to do? He was told, you'll serve me by building an ark. And the Bible says in Hebrews that by faith he built this ark. That was his service to God. Now, can you imagine he had a choice? A choice to make to serve the Lord that way or not. Had he not done that, because the Lord said to him, I'm going to destroy the world with a flood. You've never seen rain. You've never seen a flood. But I am going to destroy it because the heart of man is wicked all the time. I even repent that I made man in the first place. So what I want you to do is to build an ark. And as many people want to get saved, you can get saved. So you think it paid off for him to build an ark? He faced all kinds of challenges. He faced rebuke. He faced laughing, scoffing, ridicule, and all that. But guess what? He was daily building the ark. I'm sure there was temptation to get distracted and do it a different way or whatever, but he built the ark. Why? Because he had an encounter with God. He didn't just decide one day, I'm going to, I'm going to build a big boat. But did you notice also that when God gave him the instructions to build it, they told him exactly how to build it and what to use, the materials to use and all that, and who to put in it? but as far as everybody else the Bible says he's a preacher of righteousness it's up to them to hear what he's preaching but they couldn't hear it because you see that wasn't the life they wanted they were wicked but when the rain began to come down and the door was closed they all clamored to get on board why serve the Lord for the saving of his house which is a type of Christ saving humanity and had he not done it I'm sure God would have had somebody else to do it but but You think he was rewarded for doing it? Absolutely he was. You see, because God has a plan for every life. Then, of course, there's a man by the name of Abraham. And one day he didn't just look over to his wife and just say, hey, honey, Sarah, you know, um, let's move. We're going to leave our home, our family, and everybody else. We're just going to go, where, honey? I don't know. Oh, yeah, I want to follow you. Follow you to nowhere? Where are we going to go? No, God spoke to him because, see, he had a vision. That was his encounter with God. And in a vision, he told him to leave your home and go to a place that I will show you. So he leaves the earth, the Chaldees, to find a city whose builder and maker is God. So he is inspired to serve the Lord in a certain way. Why? Because he had an encounter with God. And this encounter with God moved him to service. Why is that important? Because when you know God told you to do something, you will be challenged. I will be challenged along the way. It's your faith in knowing that God said to do this, and you know, no matter what the challenge might be, I'm staying in faith and I'm doing it. I'm going to do what God said to do. If you're Noah, you can laugh at me all you want. If you're Abraham, I understand that you may be concerned because we don't know where we're going, but we're going where God told us to go, and he'll direct us along the way. And you know what he did? Then you've got a man by the name of Moses. Why serve God? Because look what happened in Abraham's life. He gave birth to a nation. He's the father of faith. But look at Moses. He's at a burning bush. At that burning bush, he has what? An encounter with God. A voice out of the bush speaks to him. Long story short, he's receiving an assignment to go liberate the people of God. It's going to alter the course of two nations, Egypt and Israel. And God said to do this. Of course, he had some issues with himself. He had some concerns with himself. And the beauty of that that is this. And that is that when God calls someone, he equips someone, he anoints someone to do what he's called him to do. Right? Well, he said, Moses, I'm going to be with you. And you're going to do this thing. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 34 and verse 5. What it says. So Moses, the prophet. Moses the pastor, Moses the evangelist, notice the expression, Moses the servant of the Lord died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. So Moses is called the servant of the Lord more than any other man in all the Old Testament. It was a tribute of high honor to be called a servant of Jehovah. Jehovah. Moses viewed himself as the servant of the Lord. Moses was recognized as the servant of the Lord. The encounter he had with God moved him into service for God. And he served the Lord all the days of his life with all that God equipped him to serve him with. It's a high honor to be called that. Do you know that the end of our stay on earth, the words we want to hear? Well done, thou good and faithful one. Servant. Enter thou into the joy of your Lord. It's a high thing to be called a servant of God. And Moses was called the servant of the Lord more than anyone else. An encounter led to service that led to all that Moses accomplished and Moses achieved in his life. The same with Noah, the same with Abraham, the same with Moses. And then, of course, there's uh, Isaiah. Isaiah. In chapter 6 of Isaiah, we're told that he saw the Lord. That was his encounter. I saw him high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. The angels cried, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. What an encounter. Do you know there's a distinct difference between opening up your Bible and reading it, and it says God is a holy God. God is a holy God. We can read that a hundred times. I don't think it's as impacting as Isaiah being caught up to the throne of God and seeing God and he can only hear holy, holy, holy. And the vision that he had, the revelation that he had, drove him to his knees. And on his knees, there was clarity. Oh, he clearly, crystal clear, saw the holiness of God. And then There was conviction that came upon him. Then there was cleansing that came upon him. And then a commission to go out and serve. You know what? This upcoming year, let's make it about us as individuals. I want a fresh encounter with the living God that I serve. I want to walk close to him until I'm so changed by him that I carry the fragrance of his presence everywhere I go. I want to change myself. And that will affect everybody else around me. Isaiah saw the Lord high lifted up. His train filled the temple. The angels cried holy. The glory of the Lord was there. We'll get back to him in just a moment. But the point was, the encounter with God is what moved him to serve God. It's one thing to say, hey, you should serve God. You should serve God. You should serve God. But when you see God, And you fall at his feet, which reminds me of the next fellow, Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus was an individual who hated Jesus Christ. He hated the cross of Christ. He had papers in his hands to go to Damascus and put people in jail that were called Christians to have them killed. He was a murderer of Christians. His goal in life was to stamp out Christianity at its inception. To destroy the foundation of the work of Christ on this earth and get rid of it once and for all by taking everybody who named the name of Christ, putting them in jail, having them murdered. And so he is a zealot. He has zeal, but he has no knowledge. He thinks he's doing God a service because he's protecting Judaism. So on the road to Damascus, with papers in his hands, he has an encounter. Unexpectedly. Brighter than the noonday sun. Jesus appears to him. Knocks him to the ground. He's blinded by what he sees. And you know what? He too experiences the four things. He too has clarity. Conviction. Cleansing. And then a commission. You see, his service to the Lord was defined by an encounter that he had with God. He wasn't just serving that way because he decided one day, I think I'll just serve the Lord. Or someone just said, you should serve God. Or here's a few sign-up things you can sign up for. No, no. There was an encounter. God giving a directive. This is what I want you to do. As believers today, my first encounter with God goes back to when I was saved in 1976. I've told you before, my father wrote out a sinner's prayer for me. And I read it in my bedroom, in my closet. I didn't know anything. I thought, go in your closet and get on your knees. And I did. And I opened up this little note that my dad wrote out called the sinner's prayer. Well, I read it. Then I went off to work. And for three days in a row, I got on my knees in the mill crane, 30 feet up in the air, in the dirt and dust, and said the sinner's prayer. And one day, it just hit me. If I asked Jesus to come into my heart, then he did. And I knew I was born again. That was my born-again experience. And from that encounter with God, no one had to tell me to sign up to serve God in any capacity. I was all the way in. I went to church. I found myself a church, a Bible-believing church. I got involved when I found out I was able to play the guitar, because I came from a background where you didn't play guitar in the church, and they had me play guitar on the worship team. Then when he found out that I was a person that was studying under, you know, faith ministries, and I was learning about faith, he said, would you teach a faith class? I said, yes. But the point was, I was there three times a week, all every week, because I longed to serve God from that encounter. And from that encounter with God, it moved me from that place to having another encounter with God and another encounter with God. And I've had different encounters with God, but one that was most impacting to my life as well, after all this, was I was driving my car down Route 11 to come to Midland Christian Assembly Church, which was downtown Midland at the time, and God spoke to me in an audible voice and said, you will be the next pastor of that church. Because you see, when the pastor where I came from, where I was helping out with the youth, said to me, would you consider pastoring the church? I said, absolutely not. God would have to speak to me in an audible voice like he did to Moses, and then I would do it. I laughed, he laughed, and it was just, we were laughing. Don't laugh. Because he spoke to me in an audible voice so loud, it echoed throughout the whole car. I even looked in the back seat to see if someone was back there sitting and said, you will be the next pastor of that church. I was stunned. I was shocked. I didn't feel adequate, capable. I just got out of Bible school. I was only saved three years. I didn't feel qualified. How many of you know that if God qualifies you, he'll qualify? you? It's not all about an education. There are many that go off into school, the seminary, which we call cemeteries, because they go there and they, their faith dies. But God calls people. And then he equips people, anoints people to do whatever it is he asked them to do. And so I said, okay, my service to the Lord from that point on, which was more defined because of what he said, you will be the next pastor of that church. As frightened as I was by it, I just stepped into it and said, okay, I'll do it, you know, whatever it is. I can. I'll do that. In the book of Romans, chapter one and verse one, look at what Paul called himself. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Are you a servant of Jesus Christ this morning? Are you actively serving him? And not because I'm saying this, but because you've had your own encounter with God. And you know exactly where you belong in the body of Christ. Remember, it's, many, it's made up of many members as he wills. And he places us strategically where we belong because he knows us better than we know ourselves. Remember, I said I will never speak in front of people again in 1979. No, I'm sorry. 1969. When I was in college, I quit. I will never do it again. God will call you. He will equip you. He'll take care of what needs to be taken care of if he has a work for you to do. Okay. In... Romans chapter 1, he calls himself a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle, separated into the gospel of God. So he's a servant, first of all, then called to be an apostle. We're a servant first, called to do what? Pastor, called to do what? Evangelize, called to do what? Missionary work, whatever it might be. But first and foremost, we are servants. We serve the living God with our lives. And you know what? How impacting this is in his life and was in his life? In Acts chapter 26, I only have that listed there. You don't have to read the whole chapter. He's before King Agrippa... And when King wants to know what's going on with his life, why he's there, why he's arrested and all that, what does he say? Oh, King, about 20 years ago, I was on my way to Damascus. I was going to put people in jail. I was going to stamp out Christianity. I saw a light brighter than the noonday sun. You see, that encounter impacted him for the rest of his life. And he always referred to it whenever he found himself in a difficult situation. And because he knew it would require faith on his part, he stayed with it, didn't deny it, no matter how hard it got. So, O King, and the king was almost persuaded to become a Christian because of his testimony. He didn't at that time, maybe he did afterwards, I don't know. But the point is, when you have that encounter with God, that's your encounter with God. And you know exactly what he has for you to do. And you stay with it, no matter what you face. Remember the 120 in the upper room? They encountered the Holy Spirit in a powerful way, didn't they? As they were there, 120 covered in an upper room. Why? Because they were afraid of all the persecution that would take place if they ever said that they accepted Christ. You have to remember the time. And during that particular time, if if you named Christ, got baptized into Christ, you were excommunicated from the church. Your family would turn you in, and they would kill you because... You've changed your allegiance. So there they are in this upper room. And there are 120 of them. Praying. Seeking God's face. And you talk about an encounter. Cloven tongues like as a fire. Sat upon each of them. Why each of them? Why not one big ball of fire? Because it's an individual thing. Every single one of them. Experienced the fire of God's spirit. Upon them. And a work that the spirit does. In the individual life. What kind of work? We'll see that in just a moment. But it was manifested in their lives. You see, an encounter is God revealing himself. It is God dealing with our issues. It is God equipping us for service. It is God manifesting himself in such a way so as to prepare us for a work that he wants us to do. But where does it begin? Calling myself a servant. I'm a son but also a servant. I'm a son who serves the living God. And when he manifests himself in that way, he'll deal with all the hangups that we might have. He'll deal with all the inadequacies that we have, all the imperfections that we have. He will deal with it by anointing us or equipping us or doing whatever he has to do so he could use us the way he wants to use us. All he wants from us is what? All we have to do is submit and say, here I am, use me, Lord. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 6 just for a moment. I'm going to talk about real quick those four things that we mentioned. Isaiah sees the Lord. He's high. He's lifted up. He's full of glory, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Number one, the first thing we see that is necessary is clarity. Seeing something clearly. Getting a right perspective or understanding of something. So let's look in verse 3. Clarity. And one cried to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. You talk about clarity. He fell to the ground before the throne of God. And he has clarity when it comes to the holiness of God. It's one thing to say that God is holy. It's another thing to really experience the holiness of God in such a way that it's so overwhelming that it encompasses your very life. And that's exactly what happened in Isaiah's life. There was clarity. Oh, my goodness. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing if we got up in the morning And you step maybe into a room where there's nothing but the manifestation of the holiness of God. How do you think that would impact a life throughout the rest of the day? Wouldn't that be so impacting? Well, look what happened. Because of the clarity that he had, there came conviction. Look at the next uh, verse in verse 5. Conviction. God dealing with whatever exposing personal hang-ups, that say, exposing certain things that we need to deal with. So when you think about him, here it is. Then said I, woe is me for I'm undone because I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips and mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now he has conviction, not condemnation. There's a difference. He's convicted. Oh my goodness, look at my inadequacy here. Look at my tongue is here. I need some help here. Oh, my goodness. And so he has that revealed to him. So for him, he's a man of unclean lips. For Moses, remember, he said he had a speech impediment. I can't speak. There's no possible way that I can do what you've called me to do. And what about the apostle Paul? I mean, he really takes the cake. Paul was a murderer of Christians. He had some issues, didn't he? But did that stop God from working through these people's lives? Once they had the encounter... You see what happened to him. We see what happened to Moses. What did God say to Moses? You you have an impediment in your speech. Who made your tongue? Who made your mouth? Okay. Which brings us to the next point. Look at the next one. Cleansing. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. That's called cleansing, and God dealing with the issues that can stop someone or prevent someone from being effective in carrying out the work or the will of God for his or her life. You say, well, Wouldn't that be wonderful if we could experience such a thing? Oh my goodness, don't miss this. That's a coal from off the altar of sacrifice. That didn't have the blood of Jesus on it yet. But for you and for me. Oh you talk about a cleansing. If you walk in the light as he is in the light. The blood of Jesus Christ is constantly cleansing us from all sin. Praise God. Cleansing means God is dealing with our issues. He's dealing with our inadequacies. He's dealing with whatever our hangups might be. Whatever keeps us on the mat is not greater than the blood that Jesus said on Calvary's cross to get us off the mat. Right? What Jesus did for us is greater than what can ever happen to us this side of heaven. And we need that needs to be our focus. So there was a cleansing that came into his life. God equipped him to do what he called him to do. And he cleansed him from anything and everything that could hinder him and hold him back. Which would be guilt, condemnation, etc., etc. And then finally comes the commission. Look at the next verse. The commission. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I. Where's the motivation come from? Send me. And he said, Go and tell this people here indeed. Why serve God? Oh my goodness. Can you imagine if Noah didn't serve God? Would there be a human race? Can you imagine if Abraham didn't serve God, would there be a nation of Israel? Can you imagine if, um, and the list goes on, Joshua didn't serve God and his participation in carrying out the will of God? Uh, What about Saul of Tarsus and what about Isaiah who talked about the suffering servant gave us a revelation of redemption? Can you imagine that? If they didn't serve God, there'd be something missing. A piece of the puzzle would be missing. Don't you just, I don't like to use the word hate, so I'll say detest. When you put together a thousand piece puzzle and the last one is missing. And you're looking around, under the table, whatever, and then you see the dog in a corner chewing on this little (laughs) something. A missing piece of puzzle. I worked so hard. Who's putting the pieces of the puzzle together is Jesus. He's the head of the church strategically placing us in different places. So can you imagine if these people didn't do their job? And what about Saul of Tarsus who became Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and then the list goes on. And what about the greatest suffering servant of all? Who's that? Jesus. He's called the suffering servant by Isaiah, where he goes to the cross. And he said, I didn't come to uh, be served, I came to serve. And you should do likewise. And so you see, when we talk about serving God... I don't want to start with, I've got a list here of a bunch of things that people can do. Here at Christ Assembly Church, there's a gamut of things here that you can get involved in in doing something. But you see, just to sign up for something without any motivation, without any encountering God, and maybe directed from God just means I'm just going to set myself to do something. And that's fine. It's okay to, set, to do whatever your hand finds to do. But going into the temple, getting before God and waiting on God after an encounter with God to say, I'm yours. Do you know he purchased us with his blood? You know we belong to him. We don't belong to ourselves any longer. We belong to him. That means the life that we live, praise God, we live by the faith of the Son of God. Our goal is to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Isn't that what Paul said in Romans eight twenty nine? Everybody knows Romans eight twenty eight: all things work together for good for them, love God, them called according to his purpose. But 29 says, and those that he called, his desire was that they become like Jesus conform to his very image on the earth. First John 2, six says, if you say you abide in him, you shall walk even as he walked. Wow, what a mandate he's placed upon us. We should be so busy with ourselves that we have no time for anybody else. Right? Work on ourselves and then get to the place where we can just be a blessing to other people. And so the commission was, he was authorized to then go out and do what God's called him to do. And there are many things, like I said, that we can get involved in, but it starts right here. I want to serve you. With me, that's how it was. I didn't start out by saying, I'm going to be a pastor. No, I just said, I'm yours. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll serve how you want me to serve. I'm yours. I belong to you. I'm your servant. That led me from one step to the next step, to the next step. Finally, finally I found myself going off the Bible school in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I said, I'm yours. I'll stay here if you want me to stay here. He said, no, go back. <clears throat> go back to Ohio. Go back to Ohio. Had an invitation to, to uh, be involved in youth with the youth minister, as a youth minister position at a church. No pay, just to go up there and, and help out with youth. I said, okay, I'd be glad to do it. There's something about that. And God orchestrated the whole thing and put it all together and said, now you'll be the next pastor of that church. So you see, it's God's hand in it. Now, look at uh, Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter 9. Same thing we see here. It won't take long to get through this. Acts chapter 9, same thing. Clarity, conviction, cleansing, and then commission. Okay, look at Acts chapter 9 and verse 5. Clarity. He's out doing the work he thinks for God, and all of a sudden, he's blinded by the light, and he hears the voice saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And what does he say? He said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Paul, or Saul, what are you doing? Clarity. (laughs) He knows who he is now. He may have hated the cross, hated the figure, the person, Jesus, beforehand, which is why he wanted to destroy him. He was an enemy. That particular encounter gave him clarity. Wow, now I know who you are. You are the Messiah, the suffering servant that Isaiah talked about. You've been raised from the dead and I've seen you with my own, well, blinded now, but blinded by the light that he saw. Clarity, conviction. He murdered Christians. Let's read it. Look at verse 6. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? He's convicted by what he's doing. And the Lord said to him, rise, go to the city. It'll be told you what you're going to do. All of a sudden, he's now motivated to do what? He's transformed from an enemy to someone who's a friend who's going to promote the gospel. Why? Because he had an encounter with Jesus. So he has clarity. He has conviction that he's doing the wrong thing, right? Look at the third one, cleansing. In your notes, it says seven, but it should be 17. So just to let you know that, mark it down there if you've got a pen or something. Look at verse 17, And Ananias went his way entered into the house and putting his hands on him, that's Saul, and said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. What a work God did on him at that moment. And then finally, in Acts chapter 26, you talk about commission. Look at this commission. <clears throat> He's now conveying the same thing, rehearsing it before Agrippa. And this is what he says in this encounter. Jesus said to me, rise, stand upon your feet. I've appeared unto thee for this purpose. Here's the commission. To make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things into which I will appear unto thee. Read the whole thing and you find out to turn people's hearts from darkness to light. From the devil to God and so on. So he gave him a commission, which means he sent him out to do a work for him that basically he is to take ownership of. This is what God has called me to do. You know, I, do, I really do believe that the work of God would be better accomplished if everybody defined what it is that God wants them to do. What do you want me to do? Of the list that we have here, this is just in this church. You can look at all those places where you can serve, but let God be the one to point out to you what it is that he wants you to do. Now, we can't make God give us an encounter. It's impossible. I never thought I could, never tried to do so. But when you're so actively involved in serving God, there's a general revealed will of God, there is a specific revealed will of God. In general terms, when you are, Attending a church, you're praying, you're reading your Bible, you're witnessing for Jesus and you're doing the normal things that a Christian should be doing. When you're doing all that, then you're serving the Lord in that capacity. Then when you get before God and you wait upon the Lord for further instruction and direction, guess what? He'll point out some specifics that he wants you to do in your life. So I put a list together here, we'll quickly go through it, that will help us position ourselves to have an encounter with God. What's God saying to us? What's God saying to you as an individual? <clears throat> I know it's a new year. We sometimes play on a new year. Look, you want to stay on the mat for 38 years? <clears throat> or do you want to get up from that place? You know, it's easy to stay on the mat and just say I'm a victim. It's an, Stay on the mat and say I just can't overcome the sickness. It's easy to stay on the mat and just say people are against me. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on about the things that we could say that this person hurt me before. When I was younger, this happened to me. And there's a lot of that that's going on. Well, guess what? We can either let that happen for another 38 years or we can do what Jesus said. Take up your bed and walk. Rise up to a place that you serve God with your life. Let him know that you want to do what he wants you to do. So number one, seeking God with all the heart is key. Jeremiah 29 verse 13 says what? <clears throat> and you shall seek me and find me when? When you search for me with all your heart. The heart's got to be in it. I want what you want for my life, Lord. I had no idea that would lead me from Youngstown to Tulsa, Oklahoma, Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, to come back to Youngstown, Ohio, to Midland, Pennsylvania. I had no idea that that would be the route that I would take. I didn't want anything but what God wanted for my life. And you think it was easy? For a young man to leave his home, his family, his parents, etc. And just to go somewhere like Abraham did to a place, a city whose builder and maker is God that I don't know anything about. It's never easy for anybody to do that. But you know what I said, Lord, whatever you send me, to, I had no idea I'd come back home or where I would be. But that's what he said to do. Secondly, after we make a desire known to the Lord, I want to know your will for my life. Surrender to the will of God. Look in the book of Gospel, chapter 14. What perfect example we have here. Jesus in the garden, crying out to the Father. And he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Notice that statement. All things are possible unto thee. He's telling this to his heavenly, to the Father. He's God himself. And he says, all things are possible. Well, what's the next statement? Take away this cup from me. Whoa. Would you say he is in deep prayer Here. Realizing the depth of his sufferings to the point of actually saying, All things are possible to you, take it away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will. What a surrender, but what you will. Wow, I want what you will, not what I will. Which goes to show us that Jesus perfectly surrendered and submitted to the will of the Father, even though. What he was about to go through, he really didn't want to go through. He knew the pain and suffering he would suffer and experience. Number three, be transparent before God. Look at Psalm 32. Be transparent. If we want direction from the Lord. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputes not iniquity. And in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones whacked old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Stop and think about that. Selah means that. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, and I will confess my transgression unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. For this shall every one... Notice, pray, that is godly, pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou, sh- and thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Selah, think about it. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. So here he is saying, man, I know I've got some shortcomings. I know I've got some faults. But you know what? I know that the solution is found in you. I want to be transparent before you. I want to just confess whatever it is so that you could do a work in me and then guide me with your eye and show me, you know, what it is you want me to do. Because sometimes, you know what? Even truth is hidden from us through pride. Pride can stop us from seeing, you know. Hey, a person could be bound by something and lying on the cot, lying on the bed. I just can't get away from it. I just can't get away from it. I know you can. But there's someone greater than that who can get you up off that mat. And all you need to have is one little encounter that says, "Wilt thou be made whole? Then get up and go. Can you see that? Look at the next one. Getting quiet before God. Psalm 46, verse 10. We know this. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Well, you know what? You tell them this. I'm still before you because I want you exalted in my life. I want you exalted in my life. I want what I do to glorify you in my life as I live my life here upon this earth. That's what I long for. That's what I desire. Yeah, I want to sign up to be used by you, but I want you to direct me as to what I'm to do. Next one. Stand against doubtful thoughts. I can imagine how many doubtful thoughts Noah had. But look at Psalms, the third Psalm. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many that rise up against me. Can you imagine that man lying on the mat for all those years and hearing he'll be there forever. He's never going to get up. He's never going to get in the water. It's a dog-eat-dog world. No one's going to have compassion toward him. Who's going to pick him up and throw him in? Maybe at the beginning his parents were there to help him. Maybe they died by now. We don't know, but no one cares enough about him to get him up off that mat, throw him inside that water to get him healed. Many around him saying that you're never go- it's never going to happen, never going to happen, never going to happen, never going to happen. You can hear that all year long. You can hear that for years of, of your life. Maybe when you were young, you were abused. Maybe when you are young, uh, you were raped. Maybe you're, you, you encountered different things. Whatever it might be, you're lying on the mat. It's just taking hold of your life. What are you going to do? You know what? You're going to find out that what Jesus did for you is greater than what someone else did to you. And for all those years, you're not going to let that happen any longer or hold you in bondage on that man any longer. You're going to rise up. You're going to be still. You're going to know that he is God. And even though they come against you, many there be would say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Selah, stop and think about that. See, if he could have stopped right there and said, there's no help for you. 38 years, there's no help for you. But look at the next part. But thou, O Lord, hmm, are a shield for me. My glory and the lifter of mine head. I cried to the Lord with my voice and he heard me out of his holy heel say, I laid me down and slept. I awake for the Lord sustained me. So hallelujah. We could stay on the mat and just say, well, I can't change what's happened. There's no way. It's been 38 years. I'm not going to get up. I have no hope of getting up. I have no dreams that are going to be fulfilled. This is my Lord in life. I'm going to die on this mat One encounter with Jesus. Why is an encounter so important? Because he'll catapult you from that mat to a place of service for him in his eternal kingdom. No matter who you are. No matter what you've been through. Look at the next one. Reminding him of his promise. You know Jeremiah 33 is his phone number. Call upon me and I will answer thee. You ever get frustrated when your kids don't answer you when you call on my phone? Mine always answer when I call. I thank God for that. Right? Unless they're working, I mean, they can't answer or whatever. But call upon me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Keep that promise before the Lord. Lord, you said you'd show me great and mighty things if I would call upon you. I'm calling upon you. I'm, how am I calling upon you? I'm calling upon you this way, by getting in your presence, seeking your face, surrendering to your will, being transparent, wanting you to just do a work in me, and then finally sacrificing praise consistently. Hebrews thirteen fifteen. What does it tell us? him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is a fruit of our lips, giving thanks to us. I want to thank you, Father God, for taking care of my life. I want to thank you for directing me and guiding me in everything you will for my life. I am totally yours. I surrender my will to you. Have your way with me and in me. And then uh, I will do what it is you call me to do. And the challenges that come along the way will be my faith. That's my foundation for faith that you've told me what to do. So if it's um, being part of the advertising team, Bridges for Life Ministries... Uh, card ministry, children's ministry, outreach, um, cookies for for um, schools, following, uh, let's say, fellowship teams, uh, greeters, health ministry, homeless ministry. I mean, we go down, here. there's a bunch of ministries that are here, security, servant evangelism, uh, visitor follow-up, ushers, uh, welcome team. The list goes on and on and on and on and on. And like I said, we could put one out there and give it to you and just say all these things are here. But you know what? I'd rather you have some time just to say... In this 21-day fast, I'm going to spend some time waiting on God to hear from heaven, to have an encounter with you. Show me what you want me to know. Tell me what you want me to do, because my life belongs to you.